stream and to uh, invite speakers um, who have a particular message to offer. Every, every day I'm going to be recommending a kind of number of books to you. The reason I do that is because you cannot get everything you need uh, from within a tent. Um, and uh, it's just in one go, but there is a sort of journey uh, for wholeness, and we've got a great partner in St. Andrew's Bookshop on the site. So there's a number of books I'm going to recommend every day. There are other books, and uh, there is a particular book on cancer recovery by Gillian Strain, who I'd want to mention uh, just because it's a really helpful book uh, for Christians. So if you're here taking notes, look, out, uh, look for Gillian Strain's book uh, on the cancer journey as a really good one. It's not actually in our bookshop this time, but it is one I would thoroughly recommend to you if you're looking at issues around faith and cancer specifically. Um, Simon Thomas has written a new book called Love Interrupted, an only book, which is about his experience of losing a wife, his wife uh, to uh, blood cancer. Uh, and it's a really powerful read. Uh, he's uh, a really great Christian guy who also is heading up Sky Sports for a number of years. And uh, if you've lost someone uh, to cancer, uh, then this could be a really comforting read uh, for you. Um, I love uh, Graham Tomlin's new theological tone, Bound to be Free, The Paradox of Freedom. If you're interested in freedom questions, that's highly recommended. Tomorrow we've got a great seminar uh, with John Sutherland about breakdown in professional service. He was uh, the youngest chief inspector uh, in the UK, I think, at the time, and he had a serious nervous breakdown. You'll have heard Toure this morning on, on wholeness, another one I recommend from the bookshop. Later in the week, we've got Zoe Clark-Coates and Sally Phillips, who are doing a talk around grief and loss. And um, Zoe has written this amazing book and runs an incredible charity. This one's called Saying Goodbye. It's about uh, baby loss. Uh, and again, this is a really great read, highly recommended. I know um, the youth are going to be enjoying Sadie Roberts. And she's written this book, Live Fearless. When I think about Amy Owens, I often think about this. This would be a good title for a book that Amy wrote, Live Fearless. Um, so highly recommended. And um, Rob and I have also written a new book this year uh, called The Power of Belonging, Discovering the Confidence to Lead with Vulnerability. And we'll talk a bit more about this as the week goes on, but that's another one that you might want to look out. Just before I introduce our speakers uh, this afternoon, I, I think it's really, really important uh, always, firstly, that we honor our speakers. And I, I want to just um, reflect a little bit on the past year that I've had. I've worked with Amy and Sarah over uh, the last few years, and I know them well. Um, they're incredible leaders and inspirational women uh, who I've had a real privilege of spending some time with. Uh, they're both remarkably gifted, uh, and they've both been heavily impacted uh, by uh, cancer, and we'll find out a bit more about their stories as we move through this next hour together. And whilst they are all of that, I just want to say something in their protection, which is that neither Sarah or Amy are in a position to be a mentor here or to be a kind of dial-up consultation for anybody or for anyone's family member. And um, they haven't asked me to say this. I've said this before for other speakers. It can feel that you know someone really, really well when you hear them speaking on the seminar stage. But both Sarah and Amy are still walking some of this journey for themselves. And whilst I know they would love to chat to you briefly after this seminar, we're going to do all of that in the bookshop, I think, because we have to turn this seminar venue around after every session. But whilst we do that, 
I want to encourage you, please don't ask them uh, to either make comment on a condition that you carry or a family member carries, or ask them to, if you like, exceptionally mentor you, because they're just not in a position to be able to do that. I hope you uh, understand. And I hope that from this seminar today, we might all work together to improve the support of people who are experiencing cancer in our church communities, both in London and further afield. And if there are things that you can take back, nuggets from these conversations, I'd love you to share them with your pastors and leaders and with members of your own congregations so we can see, if you like, a more safe and supported journey for those who are experiencing cancer as charismatic or broadly evangelical Christians. So why don't you put your hands together now as we welcome up Amy Owens and Sarah Jones. So guys, we've been meeting, haven't we, over the last year? <laughs> they've been quite difficult meetings, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very so we've, emotional. Yeah. They've been emotional. So we, we've been kind of meeting at work for a little conversation. It's, it's, it's probably the most unusual seminar I've ever had to prepare for. We haven't really prepared on one level. No. <laughs> we've cried. Yeah, we've cried. And then we've gone back to work. Yeah. <laughs> so we've had these really unusual moments of sort of 20 minutes crying together. And then everyone's like, right, let's go back to work. <laughs> and here we are. And here we are. Well, it's great to have you here. Thank you so much for the way in which you've embraced this journey with us. As we start, I guess the first thing I'd like to ask is about your, your, your news and your reaction to news. Sarah, why don't you start us off with a bit of your, a bit of your journey? Yeah, so um, my cancer journey has been uh, as a, a carer um, to both of my parents. So my dad was diagnosed with um, esophageal cancer in January of 2015 um, and went through uh, chemotherapy surgery that involved having his stomach removed and then um, a further round of chemotherapy. Um, and treatment, as far as we were concerned, was very successful. Um, and then in the June of 2017, my mum told me that she was, she'd been diagnosed with breast cancer. And uh, in the July of the same year, my dad, suddenly jaundiced um, on his birthday and we were told later that week that the cancer had returned to his liver and it was terminal and there was nothing that they could do and he died at home four weeks later. And you've just been on a journey with your mum over the yes. last 12 months. Yeah, so my mum's treatment finished uh, last summer and two weeks ago we had a scan that showed that there was no spread and it was a completely clear scan, which obviously is a huge relief. Amazing. Thanks yeah. so much. Amy, tell us a bit about your... So Sarah's experienced it as a daughter. Yeah. Uh, you've experienced it firsthand. Yes. So um, I will try and do this without being emotional. Um, no, you can be as emotional as you want. <laughs> so actually, uh, two years ago last week, Exactly. It was just a few days before Focus, July 17th. I was diagnosed with uh, stage 3, grade 3, invasive inflammatory breast cancer. 
for those who don't know, inflammatory is a very a rare kind of breast cancer with not great survival rates. Um, in fact, most women don't live beyond 57 months, um, especially when it's more aggressive in further down the stage. Um, I then, so that was July 17th. On August 15th, I started six months of chemotherapy, followed by a month of radiotherapy, uh, followed by a nine-hour reconstructive and mastectomy surgery, um, which then took about three months of healing. Um, that took me to last June, essentially, and, and came back here last focus. I had a little bit of hair, and I um, was still very weak. I started back to work then, um, two days a week, then three days a week, and now I'm up to four days a week. Um, I currently take a about 10 pills a day. I have um, Every three months, I have a bone infusion at the hospital. Every month, I have injections. I... Um, so my treatment is very intensive. I'm also on a trial for a drug that is currently being given to women who are in stage four breast cancer. That the theory is that if you give it to women in stage three, that would stop the spread or recurrence of the cancer, um, which is you're, I'm very prone to um, given the stage and the grade mm -hmm. of my cancer. So that treatment will continue for 10 years. Um, I've in, in February of 2020, that will be my two-year mark, which is a, a really an amazing milestone. And then when I get to the five-year milestone, my odds start getting better and better until I hit the 10-year milestone, in which case they would consider me cancer-free and, and I would resume and be normal like everyone else in terms of my risk and chances of recurrence. Mm -hmm. And we will drink champagne any We will drink and dance. <laughs> I, I drink and dance now because yeah. every day is a good day. But just, yeah. just in a nutshell, it, 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 describe your first reaction to diagnosis. Sarah, how would you say your, what was it? So I kind of feel like I've had three mm. reactions to three different, um, I guess, recurrences, types of diagnosis. Um, the thing that really sticks out in my mind that's been common across all three has been the physical reaction just you know a really like embodied fear terror you know feeling really nauseous lightheaded um as the initial response um i think when my mum told me she was she'd been diagnosed we had just been on holiday together for 10 days in Croatia and she didn't say anything until we got back and so I think I also had an additional sense of guilt around that about having not not noticed and you know I think professionally my core competencies are meant to be you know insight observation and being analytical because I'm you know my background's in social work and I just felt, oh my goodness, I can't transfer any of those qualities yeah. to my personal life. Um, and I think when my dad's recurrence was diagnosed, that, that was just horror because the hopelessness yeah. of it, I think, you know, there was, no, there was no medical hope of him recovering. And, you know, that was just utter turmoil. Utter, utter turmoil. Amy, how, yeah. how about you? I mean, I remember actually you saying to me 
I think I might have even said something glib, or not even glib, but just a bit like, oh, hey, yeah, a lot of people have scares. You know, it's probably, it's probably going to be okay. I think I might have even said that. Yeah. Do you remember that in the back yeah. of church? Yeah. So, um, in terms of my, again, similar to Sarah, when you're diagnosed, it doesn't happen at once. So I found a lump in June, I saw my GP in July, I got referred to the clinic in July, I went in, they said, oh, you're very cystic, it's likely cysts. Um, in, in, and in that interim, I'd also found a lump under my arm, which I found incredibly alarming. Um, they, they biopsy that just to be safe. Uh, a week later, I went in on my lunch break uh, to meet with the doctor to get my cyst results. And um, I walked into the room, and there was a consultant I hadn't met, and there was a Macmillan nurse in the room. And I, I just, I was by myself, and I remember kind of looking around thinking, that's never good, like this, this is weird. And anyway, she uh, told me they had found cancer, they didn't know any of the details, I would have to have a bone scan and a PET scan and a CT scan. and. They knew it had already clearly spread into my lymphatic system, which was not good. Mm. Um, so I went, you know, you, you, you go into the lobby, and then they, I was getting, they, they send you into a room, a separate room then with the Macmillan nurse and a box of tissue. <laughs> and you're allowed to ask any questions. But of course, you're just staring at this woman thinking, I hate you. Like, you're, <laughs> why are we doing, like, this can't be happening to me. And, um, and then the doctor came in and interrupted us and said, we want to do further biopsies today, so don't go home. Come back in. And then I had to go back into the waiting room for three hours to wait to get in to see the, radio, the radiographer again to do a second biopsy. And I just couldn't stop crying. And I was wandering around the Rose Center at St. George's Hospital in Tooting, just crying and crying and um, I kept asking for tissues and everyone kept saying, just go to the bathroom and you couldn't get in the bathroom and it was just, it was a mess, I was a mess. And they're calling my mom, uh, most of my family live in the United States, so I was, I was like, what am I going to do? And anyway, you then, then about two weeks later I found out um, that I didn't, it hadn't spread to my bones or anywhere else or my lungs, which was amazing. Um, I found out it was stage three, grade three invasive. Um, we started chemo, and then actually in September, so you go back to June is when I first found the lump, to my final diagnosis happened in September of inflammatory. So it, it takes such a long time, and it's such a surreal process, um, because you, you're, kind of, you're there, but you don't know how bad it is, and then you get news that says, oh, it's not too bad, and then you get, wait, it is bad, and then, you're, of course, you're Googling. Don't do that, but who isn't going to do that? Um, so it's just, and you're going through just every emotion under the sun. There are moments when you sob. There are moments when you rail, and you uh, moments when you drink a lot of champagne. I did, that was my. I was like, this is it. I'm going to drink champagne. Okay. I did a lot of that with many of you in this room. <laughs> when when we think about cancer, we often think about the person who's going through cancer, either firsthand, as in it's in their own body, or secondhand as it's in the body of a person who's particularly close to them. But we have this odd relationship, and t part of today is about talking about how we as a church do this journey together. We talked about your reactions to cancer, but, but how about people in the congregations which you belong to? How, how, how do they react to your news? What, what's typical for, for you? Amy, maybe start us off. 
Oh boy, um, it's usually not great. Uh, it, uh, there, it, it's the whole range mm -hmm. from people um, who actually I felt very appropriately just said expletives in shock, which I actually kind of expressed really what I wanted to say, didn't, or not publicly. Um, and then there were a lot of people who said, oh, my mom had that, or oh, my best friend died of that, or mm. oh, that's that breast cancer, that's a good one. It's just a boob, who needs one? Um, you know, it's the whole range. Um, and then the really other big one was uh, you should go for healing. You should get prayed for healing, um, which I found really challenging um, for a number of reasons, not because I don't believe in healing, but because it's so complex. It is so theologically um, an in-depth thing to happen and to, to say to someone in passing, oh, you should just get healing, and all that brings, all the vulnerability in your faith, all, it, it, and then I, I actually had a woman say to me, what do you, what do you want prayer for? And I said, I would, my prayer is that I would experience intimacy with Jesus mm. and that I would not feel abandoned in my faith, that I would not lose my faith. Yeah. And she said, well, don't you have faith to pray for healing? And I thought, this, this is not, this was not helpful for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry, mm -hmm. did you, you, you did you have it in a similar way within faith? Did you find that a wrestle with with your parents? How does that work out for yeah, you? Yeah, I think particularly. I mean, I, I think I was quite amazed um, when my dad was first diagnosed, and then when my mum was diagnosed, with how many people respond with, "Oh yeah, my auntie died of that type of cancer," <laughs> okay. or yeah. you know, and you know, they're just trying to share find some shared ground um, but that was something that really struck me um, but the other response that quite a few people had was to go down the spiritual warfare route um, and I think what I found quite difficult about that was that it tended to be framed around this is oh this is spiritual attack because you've just started working for the church and whenever we gain ground for Jesus, it's contested. So, so it almost so, felt like it was your fault. Absolutely. If you'd, if you'd yeah. not gone to work yeah. for the if church, yeah. then your mum would be fine or your dad would be fine. Yeah. One of the things that I found quite interesting when we were talking particularly was around the feeling of needing to manage other people's emotions around your own cancer journey. Mm -hmm. so, so you're on a very dynamic and very painful cancer journey, but you're also almost accommodating or supporting other people's emotions around your own journey. Yeah. That, that must have been really exhausting. Well, it must be exhausting. It is. It, it's still hard. Um, and, and I actually had some of my very closest friends, I think, were very unable to walk with me. It was mm -hmm. just too hard, and they had too much fear to engage with me. And it was painful, and it's valid. Everyone's experience is valid. Um, but it was hard, and it was surprising to me. Um, I think, too, that... Um, Initially, you kind of, I actually remember coming to Focus, it was two years ago, I had just been diagnosed, I had a friend with me, and I said, could you just, please, we went to, we walked everywhere together, and she told everybody for me, with me, Amy, I haven't seen you, how are you? And, Cl and Claire would step in and say, she has cancer, she's just been diagnosed, it's, it's you need to just go away and pray. <laughs> she, we just had a set statement, it was so helpful for me, because I just felt like, 
again, people come with all their mm. own issues, completely valid, but it was very hard. And actually, I found the further I went through chemo, the more I hibernated because I just couldn't take on um, other people's emotion or, and their thoughts and feelings about cancer and, of course, about me and the cancer. And how does this, how did this affect your own personal faith? Maybe Sarah starts off because obviously we, we, we're walking this line of, you know, faith and hope and, you know, pressing in and all this, this stuff at the same time. And then as, as happened with your dad, this, there, was, there wasn't a healing that you, you, well, it seemed like there was and then there, ultimately there wasn't a healing. How, how did you, how did you retain, because I mean, your, your faith is really, is a real witness to me. You're determined and quiet and really perceptive faith how did how did that journey develop for you in terms of how do you hold faith when you're facing that level of loss Oof. I I think particularly for me because I'd I'd been out of church for quite some time and then just after my dad was diagnosed the first time was when I I did an alpha course and came back to faith. So I think for me, and I think for a lot of the people around me at that time, my faith journey had been quite entwined with my dad's recovery. And, you know, that was such an answer to prayer. Um, but again, going back to managing other people's emotions, I think part of my, what I felt was part of my responsibility was to reassure people around me that like this hadn't meant that I had lost my faith and you know it was obviously it was a massive struggle and it was hugely confusing um but I mean I felt I found during the time particularly when my mum had been diagnosed my dad was dying and I had to go back to Wales so I was off work for about eight weeks and then even when I came back, I was commuting back and forth between Wales and London. So I would work Monday to Wednesday, go back to Wales on Wednesday night, and then come back to London on Sunday night and go into work. Um, so I was out of my church community, which I think it almost, it almost felt like I was on a pilgrimage, mm. almost, like, between myself and God and I think I mean I've never prayed so much in my life um, and I feel like there were just moments of such intimacy in the most awful awful circumstances you know there's there's you know my my dad always loved food before he had his stomach removed and he also loved traveling, which, again, was limited. And then after he had his terminal diagnosis, we, we basically spent a lot of time sitting in our house watching the Food Channel, um, you know, watching people travel to places that he would never go, eating food that he would never eat. Um, and I can remember particularly there was one, I think it was a Keith Floyd program where Keith Floyd went to... Um, Cavardva Castle in Merthyr Tidville, which is in South Wales, where I come from. And he made something called um, Taishan Laf, which is a, like a Welsh cake. And my dad just said, oh, 
my mother used to make Taishan lap and he just started crying just you know on my shoulder and you know he was jaundiced and he was very very thin and you know he didn't have long left at all at that point but in that moment I just had such a sense of the presence of Jesus and particularly I had a sense of my dad and my myself my family just being like held like a lamb um and so and there were so many kind of moments of grace like that in that time um while at the same time feeling quite disconnected from my church community and and when I did come back to London and start going to my church again like I actually I found that really difficult yeah definitely sorry I just just wanted you to press in with with one thing that really struck me about your faith journey was this idea that whilst a lot of people were saying, Amy, you've got to go for healing, mm. you, you, just said, you, you just said, I just want to find intimacy with Jesus. Yeah. How, how, this seems like there's a big difference between your personal experience of faith during this period and yeah. your experience of corporate yeah. faith. Yeah, and it, I knew, I felt almost immediately... Um, that there was a very, that, I, that healing, that this was part of my journey, that, that God was with me. He, you know, we go through suffering. There is never a promise that you will not suffer mm-hmm. physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And in fact, if you look at scripture, all of the greatest examples of faith building and, and Jesus's own experience all came through suffering. And I thought, this is my chance. This is my moment to have an inth of an idea of what God really meant for us and what he did for us. And, um, and I, I actually felt so viscerally that if this is how God is going to shape me and form me and give me intimacy and give me a, a glimpse of heaven, why would I want that to go away? And it's not to say that there were not moments in the middle of chemo, I mean, through all of it, where you are in such physical agony, you... Mm-hmm would trade anything. But I, even at those times, I remember, um, you know, that after each chemo session, I had about 15 hours of consistent nausea and vomiting, and you just can't, you can't actually lie down, you can't walk, you just, I just had to rock back and forth. And um, I just said the Lord's Prayer over and over and over again. And even when you don't know if you believe it or know what you're saying, it, there's power in that. And I just, God, I, I had a, a similar where God was just there with me rocking back and forth. And I just knew um, this again, like imagine the opportunity I got to experience just such a small amount of the pain that he went through for us and the ultimate and the richness and the depth that came came from that was... I just, I, I wouldn't trade it. It really was amazing. Um, and, and it isn't to say I didn't get healed and I didn't not pray for it, but I personally could not pray for healing for myself. I didn't have, I didn't feel called to it. I didn't have the energy for it. I didn't, I welcomed when other people did. But in fact, my greater prayer was intimacy. I would trade um, being sick and yet having intimacy with God over healing. That's for me. We, we I, I guess as a church leader, I know, I'm, I want to apologize because I know I haven't always handled this brilliantly. Um, and, and I think on behalf of the church, I think we've always done a great job. If you, if you are here today and you've not experienced 
you know, a very safe place during a cancer journey, then I, I can only apologize collectively that we, we have not done this well. And I want to learn, and I, I hope that we can all learn about how we can be better alongside friends on people's cancer journeys. I'd love to hear from each of you a bit about someone who did this for you really well. Like if you were going to say to me, Will, as a church leader, if you could get more Emilys in my life, like they would do it like this, then how could we coach and help the church to do this journey better? How could we be better supporters? Yeah. I mean, I think of many people with different qualities who just responded brilliantly. I mean, one of the things that I recall as just being a, an incredible blessing was um, my friend, my colleague, Ruth, um, who worked with me at the time. She was there when I got the phone call saying that my dad's cancer was terminal and there was nothing that they could do. And, you know, she literally, I just cried on her. Um, and eventually she, she came in a taxi with me to Paddington Station and put me on a train back mm -hmm. to Wales. And then two nights later, like a week's worth of shopping arrived at my door because she had just, you know, taken yeah, the initiative to, to do that. Um, and I think another thing was there was, there was a WhatsApp group of people who were praying and I think when, when people say they're going to be praying and you know that they really are, so obviously I, I didn't go to Focus in 2017 and you know, there'd been a message in the group saying we're going to be praying for Sarah and her family at this time at Focus. Um, sorry. Um, and on that morning, a little picture popped up in the WhatsApp group of the people who had gathered to pray. Um, but I also think, you know, my, my friends, Emily and Philly, who are here somewhere, um, they've just been amazing and so able to sit with the suffering and the pain and to not try to offer platitudes. Like, you know, they, they both work with me and at work we have a staff meeting every week, um, which is prayer and worship. And the number of times that I have literally just cried <laughs> on their shoulders. And they've just been able to, to tolerate it and to just be in that space. Um, yeah. yeah, which is just incredible. And I, I, was out, I remember being out for dinner with one of them and quite early on after I'd come back to London and bursting into tears and them just reaching across the table and holding my hand and just saying, yeah, this is really expletive. Um, and, it, and it was just such a sense of them being able to reach into like that untouchable place of, of pain and suffering. Yeah. Thank you, Sarah. Thank, mm. Amy, how about you? I mean, it, you know, for, for the, some of the frustration around some people's responses, I felt such a sense of richness um, in my relationships. I just, and in fact, um, as I began to get better, one of the hardest things was letting go of what I knew had been such a precious season of friendships for me. 
Mm -hmm. um, there are a lot of people in the room. There are people who aren't here. There are people who, um, the girl who went, so when I got diagnosed that day and the doctor said, you need to come back in two weeks, and she said, don't come alone. But everybody I knew was at focus. And so I called a friend of a friend and said, look, you're the only person I know in London. C could you come with me? <laughs> she drove me to the hospital. We really didn't know each other that well. And, um, she, you know, it's just, just how amazing is that? There mm -hmm. were, I, I mean, there, there are too many things to name, but there were flowers every week mm -hmm. through my um, mailbox. There were... Um, Practical. There was financial. There was food. Um, there was champagne. There was, um, you know, there were um, people who stayed with me. I had um, roommates from uni who flew over. Who one of my roommates from uni has five children, and she left them all with her husband for a week, so wow. she could come take care of me. She had the best wow. time. Um, <laughs> and, um, just. You know, it's just, there's so many things to name, but I, you know, I just, I made a list of the five most important things to me. Um, it's just being present. Mm -hmm. Just be there. There is absolutely nothing you can say, mm -hmm. actually, to make it better, to make you feel, there's nothing. There is nothing to say. There is just being. Um, be practical. There are things you can do. Just take initiative. Step into the gap. Assume somebody's probably not thought about food or wigs or whatever they're going to be facing. If you know of anything, just step in. Uh, but don't intrude. That's a fine balance. Um, but I, I needed a lot of time to just hibernate and, if, and just literally curl into a ball for days on end. So uh, keep asking if you need help. Keep asking, keep asking, keep asking. It just, it's still with me now. It's not better yet. It's not over. It takes a really long time. Mm -hmm. um, and tell me how well I'm doing. I know that sounds really greedy, but I needed uh, so much encouragement. Like, it's so hard. And um, mm -hmm. I was alone in this country. I didn't have family. Amazing support system. But I just needed people to say, you are doing so well. Keep going. You got this. You're brave. You're strong. You know, it's just repetitive. It's that affirmation was so valuable to me. It was really valuable. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. I, I know that this journey is, as, as kind of charismatic Christians, that this journey also transforms your spirituality in a way. And I kind of sometimes I, I mean, I'm delighted that we've got the opportunity to be able to press into this really difficult and painful topic today. But, you know, is there enough space for lament? In, in our spirituality? Is there enough space to kind of, to tolerate? And we've talked a bit about tolerating and just being present without taking action in, uh, in suffering. How, how, is it, how has the journey impacted your spirituality? Would you say, uh, how has it sat alongside what you were before, if you like, in terms of your spiritual expression? So for me, uh, I grew up in Africa and um, they lament well. They mourn well. Uh, they also have a slightly more fatalistic approach to life, so there's a high expectation of suffering. There's a leaning in when people die and when suffering occurs, and I felt that really prepared me unknowingly for what was is to happen, but I remember I only went to church twice in about eight months, 
And both times, I remember walking in, and, and it was the first time I um, just shaved my head, and I was wearing a scarf, and I was super nervous. You know, you just, I was afraid it was going to, I don't know, fall off, or I, it just was all so uncomfortable. I was physically uncomfortable. And I remember walking in, and I had to leave because I just thought, look at all you stupid people. I'm dying, and you don't know it, and we don't, I can't say it, and I can't cry or I can't scream, which is what you wanted to do. And you just sort of want to scream, I'm dying. Do you know that I'm dying? And I felt, um, it, yeah, I thought this of all places is where I should be able to come and lay on the ground mm -hmm. and cry. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't. It just, it wasn't, a, I didn't feel it was appropriate or allowed. Uh, and that was very painful to me. So I did a lot of that. Um, that more African style lamenting, which thank God I feel okay doing, but I had to do it alone. And that was sad, I think. Yeah. Sarah, how's it, how's it affected you yeah. spiritually? I think similarly for a long time, I struggled with church because I think I, I, I felt like I was starving for teaching on suffering and illness and pain and grief and all of those things and I just wasn't I felt like I just wasn't getting it and there was no space for it in my church environment um, and I think we've just we've I think not every testimony not every story has to have an upturn I don't think everything has to have a happy ending in order for it to be worthwhile and spoken about and included in our narrative. Um, and, you know, I just remember going back to church and I think the first, first three times um, at the end of the service, I was asked to pray for people. Um, and... I, yeah, similar. I was like, my, my, I was like, don't you know what is going on with me? Like, I can't, I can't do this. And then being in a position where you, you have to say, no, I can't pray for people, which feels, I don't know, almost like an admission of faithlessness failure. Yeah. or failure or, yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, it's, I find this really difficult because... Anyone have some champagne? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, you know, we love you so much and um, long for... Long, long, long. Just really long for it to be safe yeah. for you. Um, just to know God is with you. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's, it's it's hard to you know I I feel the tension you know I, I you know I I I sort of look back at that when you first arrived Amy I sort of I wish I'd just got everyone to lie on the floor and scream with you <laughs> you know that's that would have been the right thing to do but I just it's so hard sort of yeah. you, you know what the father wants and then and then you you sort of fall you fall in formality you know? yeah. and um. 
Yeah, it's just you, you, you want to join it and sort of join all the dots. Yeah. And it's, you know, I think the heart of the people is to sort of say, look alongside here together. We're like, we're one body, one, one part suffers. Yeah. Every, every part suffers. Suffer, yeah. But, you, you know, I, I was sort of struggling myself to understand how you have this, this tension of longing to build faith in people. And part of that faith you know, maybe in, in a superficial way, it's like, we, we, you know, we want to see healing <laughs> to build faith. You know, people, people, people's faith was built when they saw people healed. And, but in a way, there's a deeper faith that, that's there at the cross when Jesus died and Mary was still standing there and, and, and James was still standing there going, you know, this is the Son of God. And I guess there's so much in cancer which is still being at the cross on... Yeah. Saturday, when yeah. everyone mm. left on Friday. Mm. Yeah, and it's I, like ten months of Saturdays. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 When, when we try and, I guess, join the dots more. When you know, when you, you know, when you take what you've what you've learned, what you're learning about suffering and in the charismatic church. You know, are, is there anything? You know, what would you? say to people here today what would you what would you encourage them towards if they were going to be an alongside friend I know you've done this brilliant five things but from a faith perspective what 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 would you say what would you encourage them to do or not do oh gosh um I mean and I think I think committing to pray and not saying it is so valuable um I had a friend who gave up alcohol for a month you know one of those Macmillan things and that just really it was it was just kind of an odd thing but it was just really practical and I thought you know my dad shaved his head when I shaved mine um I mean there's just all kinds of things that are symbolic I think that really make a difference um even on a on a deeper level like um but I think I think the prayer for and listen to what the person asks for um, mm. you know, I don't, when I ask for intimacy, don't ignore that and tell me that you're going to pray for healing or say, mm. I will do both or say, or, and if God has given you a word for me, just think really hard about whether that's something you need to share with me or you just need to pray for me about without sharing. Cause sometimes that puts that burden back on me that isn't fair. Um, I just think just the prayer and, and doing like, do it. Yeah. Don't, it's life or death. Like, I could still die very quickly. I mean, we can all die, but it's different when you're sick. Mm-hmm. Or when someone is losing someone that they love and they are watching them die, they need prayer. Mm-hmm. This, and, and it can be the most beautiful, rich, best thing that ever happened to me. It is. I don't wish it on anyone, but it is the best thing that ever happened to me. And if you join me in praying for that richness, what more could I want or need? Mm. Yeah, 100% about the prayer, having people that you know are praying for you and are just, you know, petitioning on your behalf, you know, when you just can't do it for yourself sometimes. Um, You know, and I think also the really considerate practical things so you know my friend Emily hired a car 
um, and sorry, um, drove from London to South Wales for my dad's funeral. Um, and, you know, my, my pastor at the time, Toby, cut, he and his wife, Jill, cut their holiday in Cornwall short um, in the summer so that he could come to Wales and take my dad's funeral. Um, so I think it is, it's those, it's being there, it's being there, it's being there for people in prayer, it's physically being there for people. And I also think there's a lot of value in maintaining some normality yeah. as well. So you know, my friend Ruth, who I mentioned earlier, she she would just ask me to like come to the cinema and just do really... I remember, I think it was the day after my mum was diagnosed, Ruth just came into my office and said, do you want to go and see Wonder Woman tonight? And, you know, she'd had her own grief journey, and I was like, I don't want to see Wonder Woman tonight. And she, you know, she's like, no, it'll do you good. And, you know, and I can remember getting off Leicester Square Tube, and we walked down the street arm in arm, and she prayed for me, like, as we were walking down the street. And then we just went to the cinema, and it was so normal. It was like, it was incredible. <laughs> Are people ever healed of cancer? Sorry, what? Do people, do, are people ever really healed of cancer, do you think, now? Or is cancer always part of your story? I mean, we think, we've been talking a lot about kind of the, the physical, but there's also the sort of emotional and spiritual. How, yeah. how, do you, how does cancer kind of become part of the bigger narrative of your life? Yeah, that's really interesting. And I, I'm not long after I was diagnosed, I met with someone who'd had cancer, I think 20, so 15, 20 years ago. And she couldn't remember like the type of cancer, the stage and wow. what they did. And I just, I, I remember just thinking, how could you not like not know this? And, and it, but it was just, you move on. It doesn't, it's not part of the story for her. It always is, but in a different way. So I can't speak to that. And I, I think I do know that there are whole days I go now where I don't think about that I have cancer, whereas, which is amazing. So it, it does, it does change. But I do know that every time I have an ache or a pain, mm. I assume I've got cancer. Um, and there's all this, you have this PTSD around that. Like there's lots of things that you still have to go in for scans and the MRI machines and the mm. blood work and just all of it is a constant reminder of that. And I don't know, I don't know if that goes away. I don't, I don't know. I know it gets better. Um, and there's a part of it where you don't want it, you don't want your, you don't want to be the cancer girl. But equally, part of you does. It's kind of, it's a weird thing. Um, mm because it is so much of who you are and what happened to you. And it's deeply ingrained in my spiritual, mental, physical identity. Um, yeah, it's a, I think that's very hard. I don't know. I don't know. I, I guess what I find interesting in terms of the way in which you work as a church to support one another is that you know, one in two of us will experience cancer. And more, an even greater proportion as a supporter of someone who is dear to them who has cancer or has had cancer. Um, my mum had breast cancer. I lost my auntie to breast cancer. And, uh, you know, I know I have my own kind of cancer story through family. And, I, and yet, 
I feel like we're so quiet about that. I just wonder if there's any other ailment maybe that we that might be a lifelong sort of condition or an association which we say less about as Christians. And I, I think just thinking about the, the sort of alongside journey of saying, actually, was, is this something, we, is this the first time we've talked about cancer on the stage? It was, I, that was one of the most shocking things for me is I just felt like there was no resource and nowhere to go to talk about cancer. And I kept looking around like the few times I went to church or when I came to focus and thinking, why, why isn't somebody at the front of the big top stage saying this? Because every one of you will get it or will lose someone you love to it. Mm-hmm. That's just the facts. And why don't, why aren't we better equipped? Instead, it's just like this dreaded, embarrassing, shameful, mm-hmm. oh, I'm so sorry. You, you know, are you better yet? Are you better yet? Are you better yet? Like, we need to lean in, not walk mm-hmm. away. Uh, and I'm not, that I don't say that glibly, but um, there is so much in it, and we are all going to experience it. So how can we do this together? Yeah, yeah wow. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I think I, I was and continue to be surprised by how many people in church are reluctant to even say the word cancer, you know, and it's as if it is an expression of a lack of faith. You know, if you're not talking in terms of, of, you know, we have the victory and, you know, all of that kind of everything's amazing, rhetoric, everything's amazing. (laughs) Everything is awesome. Um, yeah. And I can't think, I can't think of any other illness condition that there is a similar silencing around which is baffling when you consider yeah how many people are going to be or have been or will be affected by cancer yeah i mean i think as a again from a sort of church leader perspective I, I i do think i do think there's some something i you know i feel chastened by even just the work we've done over the last year which makes me feel like there is something about cancer that feels like this big enemy yeah. and we personify it. I, I've increasingly disliked the language of, you know, we talked about the sort of matruistic language of like, we're going we're gonna to kill cancer, you know, we're going to like beat cancer. Mm-hmm. And because actually what we do is we dehumanize the victims of cancer or the people who are journeying with cancer and we create this sort of cancer monster. Yeah. Um, and so we, we, we lose sight of the humanity of the people who are actually are impacted by that disease and then their wellness or illness becomes a measurement of our faith or failure. Mm-hmm. And I guess we need a much more supportive and compassionate language around cancer, which, which both names it, but also stands with the human journey of cancer. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it, it's also true that Christus Victor, you know, like we have a hope beyond hope yeah. that whilst we may not see a healing in this life, we have a a home where there is no more crying and gnashing of teeth and there is no more cancer. Mm. And so we have, we have the presence of Jesus, but also we have the assurance of heaven. And I also, yeah, I also couldn't understand why we were so afraid of, of death. Yeah. Like if we all really believe that it only gets better and that heaven is the ultimate moment of intimacy and 
absence of pain and suffering and, and holiness and angels singing and trumpets and whatever your vision of heaven is, champagne mm-hmm. flowing from the streets. Um, why, why wouldn't I embrace that? Why wouldn't I say whatever I'm yielding to what God is doing in this? If it ends in death, then that's trumpeting angels in champagne. If I live, that's achy joints and helping my church do better and still drinking champagne. Um, but, but why? Yeah, it's that all that death too. I mean, the, the church, is, I just think is, we've done such a disservice to ourselves by pretending death doesn't happen. Mm. Guess what, everybody? I'm sorry to tell you, <laughs> you're all this dying. Is, this is the end of the seminar now, so I'd like to go away with that thought in mind. That's um, why I drink champagne. Yeah, wow. I mean, this is right. This is, this is ultimately where it comes to. It's like Jesus is with us. There is death, but there's also the hope of glory. And um, you guys have, you know, educated us, challenged us, made me cry again. (laughs) (laughs) If you had one last word of encouragement each to give to people here today, it might be something very simple, but what what word of encouragement would you want to give to people as they walk away? I think a picture that I had quite some time ago was of Jesus at a potter's wheel um, with his, his wounded hands molding a pot and just the sense that, you know, we are shaped by a wounded God and that you know, his suffering and our suffering are part of part of our makeup and part of our intimacy with him and that, you know, he is with you and there is a hope that sometimes we can lose sight of in dire circumstances, but you know, it's a hope that it's a hope that is real and it's a comfort that is real. Thanks, sir. Gosh, that's hard. Um, one of the scriptures that really helped me was Romans 5.3, which talks a lot about suffering and perseverance and character and hope. Um, which, so I really agree with Sarah. And, you know, I would just say lean in, uh, show up, love, love people mm-hmm. who you love. Mm-hmm. Show up and love them. Um, because it's, it's precious. Amen. Why don't we just pray just where we are um, before we, as we wrap things up today. Jesus, we want to we wanna l- lament. We want to stand and walk with those who are suffering, those who have been impacted by cancer. We pray, Lord, you'd... you'd Help us to lean in and to love deeply and richly. We pray you'd take away our shame and embarrassment, our awkwardness, our own fear. You'd help us together, Lord, to grieve with those who are grieving and to mourn with those who are mourning and to be the body that you've really called us to be so that when any part suffers, the other parts suffer with them and they let them know that they're suffering with them. We pray, Lord, for anyone today in this room who's 
facing cancer, maybe has had a recent diagnosis or is in a chemotherapy journey or, or in remission at this time, we want to pray, Jesus, for your presence and your intimacy to be so palpable to them today. We pray that they would know that they are not alone, but that you're with them. And for those of us on the fringes, those of us who are standing alongside or looking in, Jesus, give us hands to serve, real hearts to feel, and words only at the appropriate time. We pray we'd love deeply and richly in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's give Amy and Sarah a massive round of applause. Thank you guys so, so much. You've been absolutely incredible. Really amazing. Thank you. Utterly brilliant.